It's good. You ready to, ready to go in, into your Bibles? Today, the, the title of my message is Blessing Tests. Blessing Tests. How many people know that God wants to bless you? Well, the rest of you are about to find that out. And, uh, but let me just say this. This is, this is really important. I didn't, I didn't grow up in church. I got saved on a beach, for those of you that know my story. So I feel like, um, I, feel like I had a disadvantage when I got saved because everybody already knew Bible stuff. They knew that God and Jesus were related. I had to find that out. <gasps> They're related. You know, like everything was new for me. Uh, you know, someone would ask me, how many, how many animals did Moses take on the ark? I'd say two. And they go, wrong, Noah. Oh, don't. You know, I had no idea. I had no idea about Bible stuff. And, uh, and so I always saw it as a disadvantage. But now I look back and, and I see it as an advantage because I didn't have like a, a predisposition to interpreting things or, you know, getting to something and just glossing or skimming over thinking, well, well I already know that. And, uh, and so I, I began to discover some things about God. And this is what I began to discover in this life. You and I are always in one of two positions. You and I are always in one of two places in God. We are either in a test or we are in a trust. We are either in a test or we are in a trust. God, God tests you, not because He wants you to fail. God tests you to approve you. How many people know that you have a driver's license once you pass a test? The goal isn't to get you to fail. We need less people on the No, no, the goal is to make sure that you're competent so we can give you a driver's license so that you can stop pestering mom and dad to drive you around everywhere and and, uh, you know, be independent. And so, you, you know, there are tests to graduate from high school. There are tests to graduate from college. And, and so God, God does tests. And today we're going to see that in Genesis 22 that uh, Pastor Becker has already alluded to. But I just want to uh, I just want to go there this morning and just get you to read Genesis 1.28. Genesis 1.28. It follows 26, 27, 28. In Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So it's God's idea that you and I exist. Then in verse 27, God is not just a wishful thinker. God is a doer. Genesis 1.27, and God made man. And that's what I like about God. If God, God says he's going to do something, you can take it to the bank. He's going to do it. He's not a politician. Come on, how many people thank God he's not a politician? Making a whole lot of, you know, making a whole lot of promises to get in power and then does nothing once he's there except, you know, take all the coffers for himself. And then after four years say, oh, you know, I know I didn't get around to it, but if you vote for me again, that's not God. God says, let's make man. Verse 27, God made man in his image. So now God has made man. Genesis 1:28. have a look what it says. It says, then God blessed them. Then God, his first intent is revealed. Uh, this is really important because I need you to understand God has not yet given commandments. God has not yet said, said to Adam, of all the trees of the garden you can freely eat except off that one. That's a whole other chapter. This is, before, this is before sin. This is before commandments. This is before anything else. So we actually see the intent of God. Now, the Salt Lake people are probably miles ahead of the Californians, just saying that. Because I, I preach this in California, and every service I have people get up and walk out. Just the concept that God wants to bless you is too much. Hang on, no, no, I don't, I don't think this guy's preaching the gospel. Genesis 1.28 reveals God wants you to be blessed. In fact, it's impossible to be fruitful and multiply without blessing. 
So God, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. God wants you to be blessed. I just need you to catch it. Anybody catch that? I need you to get that in your spirit. All right, now come with me. You're already miles ahead of the Californians. Come with me to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. It says, now it came to pass after these things that God did something. God what? Come on, somebody. It came to pass after these things that God tested. Is it up there? Oh, okay, sorry. Genesis 22. Genesis 22, verse 1. Genesis 22, verse 1. Is it up there now? No, not yet. Genesis 22, verse 1. 22, verse 1. Genesis 22, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested. Everyone say tested. That God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, Carey, excuse me, of the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and began to split the wood for the burnt offering. Took two of his young men with him, sorry, and, his, and Isaac his son began to split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. Now watch this. This is what Pastor Becker was teaching us this morning. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. The two of them went together. The two of them went together. You won't, might just want to catch that for a second or underline that. The two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, I'm not sure whether he realized he was prophesying. Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together and they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. Then the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said to him, do not lay your hand on the lad. Or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of Isaac, his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. He named the, he called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because, everyone say because. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, 
your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of your enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelled at Beersheba. I love that story. What an incredible story. Do you know, a lot of people that don't read the Bible or don't know God have a problem with that story. They have a problem with that story. They're like, what kind of a God would ask a man to sacrifice his only son? They ask that. Does anybody know why he's that kind of God that would ask a man to sacrifice his only son? Because God was at this particular moment in a, uh, in a legal battle with the devil. I'm not sure if you, if you realize, but our entire judicial system is based on, on the Bible. There is a, a God or a, a judge who sits on the throne. Before the throne is a prosecutor and is a defense attorney. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser. How many people know that God created Lucifer? God created Lucifer. Lucifer. Lucifer means light bearer. The Bible says when God created Lucifer, that not only was he a bearer of light, but the Bible says in Ezekiel 28, on the day of his creation, that he had pipes and timbrels, musical instruments, that he didn't just speak, he, he sung. He's the angel of worship. And he was the light bearer. But the Bible says that pride filled his heart and he began to say in Isaiah 14, five times he says, I will exalt myself above the throne of God. I will not just worship, but I will be the one who is worshiped. And so the Bible says that, you know, heaven is heaven because there's only one will that is done. They will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now Lucifer fractures heaven because all of a sudden it's not God's will be done, it's my will be done. So he loses his place. So he's cast down into the earth. When he comes to the earth, he decides to rage and rebel against God. So up there, he was an angel of worship. Down here, he, he loses his identity as Lucifer. How do we know he loses his identity? Because the Bible says that there came a day in the book of Job, the sons of God came and presented themselves before God, and Satan also came amongst them. And God says to him, where have you come from? I recognize all these. Where have you come from? Satan in his rebellion, or Lucifer in his rebellion, loses light bearer and becomes Satan, the prince of darkness. And, and, and he knows that God is a God of truth. So he fabricates a code. In World War II, the Allies communicated in code and the Germans communicated in code. The reason they communicated in code was so they could get message to, messages, messages to their troops so they could advance and take territory. Or, or, and so, so there were code breakers. The, the devil knows that God is a God of truth. The Bible says that God, it is impossible for God to lie. So Satan becomes the father of lies because he knows that, that it is a code that God doesn't understand. So he operates in lies. That's why the Bible says no lies of the truth. I'm trying to give you a, a really, really quick Bible study in, in just, am I losing you or you, you, you still? Okay, so, so, so he, becomes, he becomes Satan. He becomes the accuser. The liter, the, literally the name Satan is accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. In Ezekiel, uh, sorry, in Isaiah 14, it says that, that Lucifer was the covering cherub. 
the cover. He was the anointed cherub who covers. So, so in heaven, his job was to cover, but now he's the uncoverer. And he accuses you before the throne of God night and day. But thank God, the Bible says that we have a mediator between God and man. We have an intercessor. We have someone who's our defense attorney. His name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus intercedes on your behalf and my behalf before the throne of God each and every day. Somebody say amen. So, so, so we see here that, that, that God is asking Abraham to give his only son because the devil, when Adam and Eve sinned, he said, you see, God, they don't want you. They want me to rule over them. So when, when, when he comes to, to God in the book of Job, God says to him, where have you come from? And Satan says, I've come from the earth. I've come from the earth. He says, I've come from the earth from walking back and forth and traveling to and fro upon it. Now we can read that and go, isn't that lovely? Oh, look at him, little, little devil. He's, he's out walking. <laughs> Walking's good. It's a good way to get exercise, get fresh air. You know, he's walking. But you need to understand, in the Bible, in the Bible, it, when he says, I've been walking back and forth on the earth, traveling to and fro upon it, you need to understand that the, that the kingdom of God says that whatever place the sole of your foot shall tread, I've given you. The, the devil is so defiant, he's saying, I'm walking on the earth because it's mine. I know you created it, but when you cast me down, this is the place where I'm setting up my worship, where I'm setting up my dominion, where I'm setting up my kingdom, and they don't want you. And so God finds a man, Abram, exalted father. How many people know that God is our exalted father? You're going to find there are these magnificent patterns all the way through history because history is on a cycle because the same three players are always in play. The spirit of God, the spirit of the devil, and the spirit of fallen man. All three players. So history just keeps repeating. It might change geography, but history just keeps repeating. And so so here he, he says, I've come from the earth and the earth is mine, says the, says the devil. But God finds Abram. God finds this exalted father and he says, will you sacrifice your only son because I'm asking? Really what God was looking for was permission. So now he now has legal right, legal permission to send his only begotten son into the world because he found a man. He found a man, Abram, who was willing to do that. And so now God has legal right. But he comes to, he comes to Abram and he says to Abram, he says, oh, Abraham, Abraham, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, what you need to understand is God is specific. Because if God would have just said to Abram, take a son. Because he didn't have an only son. He had, he had two sons. He had Ishmael. If God would have said to him, take a son and, and sacrifice him, he's not given Isaac. He waited a hundred years for this boy. He, he'd, be, he'd be like, Ishmael. Ish, how are you, buddy? How you doing, little tiger? How old are you now, Ish? 25. Man, it feels like 125, doesn't it? It feels like you lived a whole life. Anyway, God's asked for you. Got to sacrifice you. Because you know when it comes to an offering, come on, human nature is we always try and think, oh, okay, what can I get away with? Man, all right, they're taking an offering. Okay, what can I do without? But God's like, no, 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 blessing and breakthrough doesn't come when you give what you can do without. He says, I want you to give Isaac, your son, your only son, whom you love. 
go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. It's, it's quite amazing. Moriah has an H on it and it has an A-H. You find that A-H is, the, is Yah. It's the breath of God. God comes to Abram and he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. He comes to Sarai and he changes his name to Sarah. Moriah, M-O-R-I-A, means, means uh, madness. But Moriah means place of God's bitterness or pain. He said, I want you to go to the place of God's bitterness or pain. It was already named because God was prophetically, that was the place where God would sacrifice his only begotten son. His pain for our gain. That's the gospel. His pain for our gain. So he says, I want you to go to the land of Moriah and I want you to offer Isaac. And like as Pastor Becker was saying, it wasn't about God says, I want you to kill your kid. If you want to serve me, I need you to become a homicidal maniac. Because Abraham could have just woken up in the morning and just, you know, put a pillow over his face. He didn't need to. How many people know it wasn't God trying to take something from Abraham? Listen, listen, listen. Whenever, whenever, it comes, whenever it comes to the offering or the tithe or giving, you need to understand it is never, 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 never about God trying to take something from you. It is always about God trying to get something to you. It is, they had to roll away the stone for Lazarus to come forth. Come on, if you can raise someone from the dead, can't you move a stone? Jesus says, I know, but I'm in charge of resurrection. I need you. If you roll away the stone as an act of faith, I'll raise what is dead, what you've given up on, what you have deemed hopeless. I'll bring that back to life. But you got to roll away the stone. The tithe is that. Now, it's interesting. It's interesting because in Genesis 6-3, God says uh, that a man's days will be 120 years. He says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. Genesis 6, 3, a man's days will be 120 years. Does anybody know what a tithe of 120 is? Any mathematicians out there? What's a tithe of 120? 12, 12. It's interesting because Isaac is 12. At this particular time, Isaac is 12. When God, when God says to Moses, uh, says to Moses, says to Abraham, take him up to Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. He's 12. He's not 24. He's not 36. He's not 48, he's not 60. It's not the second tenth, it's not the third tenth, it's not the fifth tenth, it's the first tenth. The first always belongs to God. The first always belongs to God. And so he brings, he brings Isaac up. And the Bible says that, that when he gets there, he says to his servants, he says, stay here with the lad. Stay here with the donkeys. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will return to you. In the book of Hebrews, it says that, that Abraham believed that God would even raise him from the dead. What I love about Abraham is he knew, he knew the blessing of God, but even more than that, he knew the character of God. See, when you know the character of God, you can, you can be like Abraham and you can, you can take your boy up onto and you can be willing to give what is most precious to you because you know that God is good all the time and all the time that God is good and that his mercy endureth forever. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Abraham in faith believed that even if he sacrificed, even if he went through with it, that God would raise him from the dead. You know, that, that's why it's so important to know God. Daniel 11.32 says, those who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. So Abraham knew something and he prophesied. He says, you stay here. The lad and I are going to go yonder and worship and 
we will return to you. Then he puts the wood on Isaac's back. It's a picture of Jesus. Did you know that? It's a picture of Jesus. Because now Jesus, who's the promised son, is carrying wood on his back up a hill. Look familiar? And, and, and as he's walking up the hill, Isaac says to his papa, he says, he says, Papa, and Abraham says, here I am, my son. He says, we've got the wood. You've got the knife. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I'm not even sure if Abraham realized how prophetic. He says, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. That name, that, the place, that place was then named Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who sees and in seeing provides. And so God, provide. in fact, if you go to Mount Moriah, do you know where Mount Moriah is? It's in, it's in Israel. It's Jerusalem. Right now, the temple dome is built on the same place where Abraham put the altar to slay his son. From there, you can see Golgotha. You can see where Jesus was slain. And the Bible says Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And he says, God will provide for himself a son. But you know what's interesting is the Bible says that, that Isaac and Abraham, the father and son, walked together. Do you know, Jesus knew that it, with the beating and with them spitting on him and tearing the beard out of his face, he knew that God was with him. But you know, this is how amazing Jesus was. When they nailed Jesus to the cross, he could endure it because God was with him until... The Bible says that from the, the, the sixth hour to the ninth hour, from 12 noon till three, sorry, 12 noon to three in the afternoon, the Bible says darkness came across the whole land. There was no eclipse on that day, but everything became pitch black. Everything became dark because God was taking your sin and my sin. God was extracting our sins and putting them on Christ. Now, you need to understand the Bible does not say that Jesus bore our sin. The Bible says that Jesus became our sin. Jesus became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says at the ninth hour when, when darkness had come across the land and Jesus had now become fully sin, that was when Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it was the first time Jesus in his 33 years felt the disconnect from God. He, he literally felt as he became sin, God completely disconnected himself from Christ. Jesus was abandoned on that moment. You would say, why would God abandon him on that moment? Because Jesus had to, because the wages of sin is death. And so that you and I, when we get to heaven, so that God doesn't turn his back on us, so that God doesn't reject us, so that God doesn't dismiss us, Jesus took that rejection upon himself on the cross. He was rejected so that when you and I stand before God in Christ Jesus, we are accepted. Jesus was judged so that you and I know that Jesus was already judged and God is perfect in justice. There's no double jeopardy with God. If God judged Jesus for your sin, then he can't judge you for your sin because your sins were already paid for by Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So Jesus, Jesus dies on the cross. And it wasn't the crucifixion because remember Pilate marveled that he was dead already. 
he's dead already. It wasn't the crucifixion that killed Christ. It was the judgment. It was the wrath of God on the sin that caused Jesus to be slain on the cross. But his blood was shed because he's the lamb. He's the lamb. He's the lamb. The first murder in the Bible happened between who? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. It's quite interesting. Cain and Abel. The first son kills the second son. It's prophetic. It's prophetic. The first Adam would murder the second Adam. The first Adam became sinful. Sinful man crucified Abel. The second Adam, Jesus. Abel, the name Abel comes from, from two Hebrew syllables, Ab, El. Ab is father, El is God. Cain, appointed spear, will murder Ab, El, appointed uh, father God. Father God would be murdered on a cross because when God come down to Cain, he says, wait, 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 wait. where's your brother? He's like, whoa, whoa, how am I supposed to know one of my brother's keeper? That's, it's about a nine on the tension scale there, Rube. Actually, he didn't say that. That was from a movie. Um, <laughs> he says, well, you're meant to be your brother's keeper. He goes, what is this? I hear your brother's blood crying from the ground. Let me tell you this. Satan is still piping off in heaven about you. He's still trying to pipe off in heaven saying, you can't bless Vince. You can't bless Becca. You can't bless Jürgen. They don't do this and they do do this and they struggle with this and they still that. And he cussed at somebody on the freeway that cut him off the other day. And he's a pastor. Yeah, and all, and he, he's piping off before God. But you know what? Watch this. Watch this. The Bible says that we have a mediator. And I need you to understand because it's interesting because when you read, when you read, it looks like there's a conflict because the Bible says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. Well, which one is it? Is he sitting down or is he standing there interceding? Because he says he sat down, but the Bible says he's, he's mediating. So is he just kind of getting up and down all the time? What's he doing? No, no, no. The Bible says his sacrifice. See, Jesus was the most perfect human being. The lamb had to be, had to be examined three times every year to qualify for Passover. It had to be one year old without blemish. It had to be examined three times. Before the high priest was allowed to take that one-year-old lamb, sacrifice it, take its blood into the Holy of Holies and present it as atonement for the people. Jesus, did you know that was, was also three times examined? The lamb, outer court, inner court, Holy of Holies, three times it had to be examined without blemish and spotless. Jesus was examined by Caiaphas, the high priest. There's nothing wrong with him. We, if we're going to we need to send him to Pilate. Pilate examines him. Nothing wrong with him. Sends him to Herod. Herod says, I find no fault in this man. Three times Jesus was examined so that he could be the lamb. He was examined by people looking for a reason to crucify him. And they could not find anything. An innocent man was crucified. Why was an innocent man crucified? Because God had arranged this whole thing. Because Jesus died a violent death on the cross so that his blood would scream at such a frequency 
hypocrisy and such a philosophy that the devil who is piping off against you and against me, trying to, trying to convince God that he can't bless you and he can't heal you and he can't deliver you. you, you they disqualify God. They've done this and they've done this and they haven't done this and they haven't read their Bible and they haven't got to, had a quiet time and, and they think this and that. And all of his piping off is drowned out. The, the frequency the devil accuses you at is completely muffled. It's completely drowned out by the scream. God heard the cry of Abel's blood. And in the same way, Jesus' blood cries out at such a frequency before the Father. The Bible says that that Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, but Jesus' blood cries out for forgiveness. The first thing Jesus said on the cross was, Father, forgive them. The message of the cross is forgiveness. I want you to know the devil is a liar. He wants you to believe that you are disqualified from blessing by the things that you do or the things you don't do, that your, your salvation is dependent on works. That is a lie from the devil. Every cult, every cult believes that you got to do something to get into heaven because it's rooted in an unbelief that what Jesus did on the cross, God's sacrifice was inefficient. Man, I'm telling you, I'm putting my faith in God being a little bit smarter than than, than leaders of, of different cults and different religions. God knows what He was doing. He knew that the perfect sacrifice was Jesus Christ. Jesus came, a perfect man, lived a perfect life, and then was crucified so that God could make an exchange. That's why it's a cross. It's the place of exchange. He took His righteousness and gave it to me in place of my sinfulness, and He forgave us. He, he took the handwriting that was against us and took it away as far as the east is from from the West, so far has He separated our sins from us. That's the gospel. Now, I haven't got to any of my points yet. No, we're out of time. But you need to understand God wants to bless you. Let me just give you one, one thought, one point. One thought, one point. Point number one is obedience. I reckon that what God loved about Abraham was obedient. Can I tell you, obedience is when you do what God asks you when it doesn't make sense. There's no mention of Sarai or Sarah in this story because I'm married. I know that if I said to Leanne, hey baby, you're not going to believe what God told me. Sacrifice one of the kids. Like there's no, there's no. That's why he got up early in the morning. She's still asleep. But it, it, it was obedience. Obedience is when you do what's right when you don't know why. God asks you to give. God asks you to tithe. Watch this. Because, you know, I didn't grow up in church. So I, I had no idea. And when I discovered tithing, I'm like, why do I got to give money to the church? Why do I need to give money to God? He doesn't need it. Come on, how many people know we paved the streets with gold? Poor people don't use gold for, what do we do with all this excess gold, Gabriel? I know, let's pave the streets with it, you know. You're giving money to a guy who uses gold for his streets. How many people know that God doesn't need your money? Yet he asks for it. If he asks for it and he doesn't need it, maybe it's not the money that he's interested in. Maybe it's something even greater than money. Doesn't the Bible say that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also? Maybe it's your heart. See, God is always testing. Let me, let me just say this. If you, if you own something and you can't give it, 
you actually cease to own it. It owns you. If you own something and you can't give it, you don't own it, it owns you. See, God has no problem with you having wealth. He has a problem with wealth having you. Jesus came to set you free. He doesn't want you to be bound to greed. He doesn't want you to be bound to fear. He doesn't want you to be bound to to lust. He doesn't want you to be bound to those things. So He comes to set us free. The way that He does it, everything everything in the kingdom advances with obedience. Now let me just tell you this. Obedience will cost you every time. Obedience will cost you, but let me tell you, it'll never hurt you like disobedience does. Obedience will always cost you something, but it'll never hurt you like disobedience. When we started our church in San Diego, uh, you know, God said to me, uh, send 10% every week, 10% of everything comes in every week and send it to the Dream Center up in LA. Dream Center are amazing. They, you know, take people off the streets who are, you know, drug addicts and alcoholics and homeless. And young girls have been caught up in human trafficking or prostitution. Or they rescue and they've got all these wards. They've bought a hospital. And, uh, and so God says, send 10% every week. And, and the first week we had, you know, three people wrote $1,000 checks. I was really pumped. We had like $4,300 as our first offering. I was so excited. And so I remember writing a check, $432 to the Dream Center. And I get a phone call like, you know, that Thursday from Pastor Matthew Varnett. And he's like, man, you're sending us money. You're too kind. We ought to be sending you money. Come on. You're church planning. You guys are too much. And I said, oh, Matthew, God told me we're going to do this every year, uh, every, every week. The next week we only had, I think it was maybe $1,600 come in. I wrote a check, $160. But we did that every, year, every week. Five years later. My, my accountant's going, you put staff on. You could have done this. You could have done that. Why are you sending? I said, I, I don't know why. God just told me. And then at the fifth year mark of our church, little Zoe was born, my beautiful little princess. But we just noticed that my eldest son just wasn't the same. Beautiful kid, sweet kid, beautiful heart. But all of a sudden, he, he'd grown his hair over his eyes, couldn't look you in the eyes anymore was wearing really dark clothing, was fighting with his brothers, was acting up at home. One night, Leanne's up in bed and she's done a Google search and she goes, oh my God, oh my God, look at this, look at this. And she shows me the computer and says, is your son a drug addict? I'm like, oh, not our little boy, no. Found out that he'd been bullied at the high school for the last six months. He, he, he was like me, a little bit slow to develop physically. So they took advantage of that and they used to beat him up. And because he was such a soft, sweet kid, they'd make him cry. And they took great joy in beating him up till he cried. But after six months, they gave him an option. They gave him an out. They said, if you join us, we'll stop the beatings. Well, how many people have heard the saying, you know, you can beat him or you can join him. And so then they enlisted him to sell drugs and they knew the greatest way to enlist him to sell drugs is get him hooked on drugs. He was so hooked that we put him into a program and it couldn't. And he came to me, 16. He said, Daddy, I don't want to live anymore. This thing's too strong. I just want to end my life. I want to die. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. And then I remembered the dream center. 
And I called them up and they said, send him up. We've got a bed for him. I sent him up to the dream center. Nine months later, he comes back, different kid. Broke the power, broke the back of the addiction. My son was dead, literally, figuratively, and now is alive again. But I had no idea. I had no idea five years earlier when God says, I want you to sow into the dream center. I had no idea that I was like Jochebed, the mother of Moses, where she takes her little boy and she puts him in a basket she made in the Nile. Pharaoh was throwing babies in the Nile to drown them. She's placing her boy in the same place. It's, it's symbolic of death. It's symbolic of giving. And she places him in. She has no idea. Come on, with God. Give and it will be given to you. Press down. She has no idea the little boy, three-month-old boy that she puts into the river would come back, pressed down, shaken together, running over with a rod of God in his hand, that he would come back as the deliverer, that he would not leave one Israelite under the clutch and the grip and the oppression and slavery of Pharaoh. He would deliver them all. She placed it. I had no idea. I had no idea that I was going to build a deliverance thing. I was sharing this a few months ago, and God said, that's not all I did. I said, what do you mean? He goes, that's not all I did. I didn't just get you to give to the Dream Center to save your firstborn. Your second son, Ash, he just got married in July. I think I forgot to send you guys the picture. But I have a picture of my, my son and his bride. His bride is, I mean, she looks like a princess. She's absolutely dropped dead gorgeous. Her name is Aubrey. Aubrey Barnett. Pastor Tommy Barnett, who founded the Dream Center, his granddaughter, Aubrey Barnett. And God said, when I asked you to be obedient back then when you didn't know why. See, if you know why, it's not obedience. God just asks you what. He doesn't tell you why. He just asks you what. I need you to, to bless that person's, buy that person's coffee. Well, why? Well, they look like they can do it. You have no idea. If you know why, kind of cheat obedience. God will always ask you what without the why. God says, I didn't just save your firstborn, but I provided a bride for your secondborn. Come on, how good is God? How good is God? I was in, uh, I know I'm out of time and I've got to finish. I was in, I was in a Starbucks. This is, this is, this is not good. About, about four or five years ago, uh, it was New Year's Eve and uh, my wife if she stays up till 10 p.m., that's, that's a late night for her. Like she's normally 9.30. And I'm like, babe, it's New Year's Eve. Let's walk on the beach and, and let's you and we'll kiss. You know, I'm, anything for a kiss, right? And so 10 o'clock, she's fast asleep. So I'm in Australia. It's New Year's Eve. So I go walking on the beach by myself and there's the moon and the waves. And so I'm like, God, well, it's just you and me. Want to kiss? You know, and I was, you know, <laughs> And so I just said to God, you know, I sat on this rock and I'm just watching the waves hit the rock. I said, God, you know, this year, what do you want from me? And he goes, two things. I'm like, okay, I, I, I think I can do two things. He goes, number one, faithfulness. Number two, awkward conversations. And I go, okay, well, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, if I ask you to do something, just do it. Don't question it. So I get back from Australia. I'm, I'm, I'm in Starbucks and Starbucks is awesome because it's an office when you didn't have an office. For like $3.75, you can have meeting after meeting. You know, it's like best rent. 
And so anyway, so I'm, so I'm in Starbucks and I've had like three meetings in a row, drank three coffees and now got to go to the restroom. Has anyone ever been to the restroom in Starbucks? It's like, ooh. And uh, I walk in and there's like somebody. I'm just like, how do people live like, oh, at least flush. And you missed, it's all over the, oh. And there's papers on the, oh. And the Holy Spirit says, clean it up. I ain't cleaning it up. Number one, this ain't my mess. Number two, I don't want I don't want them to fire people because hey, some guy's been coming in cleaning up our bathrooms and we no longer got a job for you. I don't want to steal employment from people. And God's like, I need you to clean it up. I'm like, I ain't cleaning it. I said, God, there's urine all over the seat. I'm not cleaning it up. It's not mine. And God said to me, clear as anything, He says, if I can't get you to clean up the filth in a public restroom in San Diego, how can I get you to build a church that cleans up the sin, the iniquity and the transgression and the messes of people's lives? So the saddest thing is now I can't go into a, a bathroom. I know, I know, Holy Spirit. Like, you know, you're meant to be my helper. You're not helping, all right? Stop it. You know, it's like, and, and here's the other thing about the Holy Spirit. I know, you know, Jesus says, I'll send you a helper. And yeah, yeah, right. Why, if He's my helper, why is He always ganging up on me with my wife? They're always in agreement. I'll have an argument and I know I'm right and she's wrong and the Holy Ghost is with her. No, nah, no, nah, she's right. Holy Spirit, you're my, get over here. No. But he's, anyway, so that's just, just a little nitpicky I've got with, with God. You know, God will ask you for little things. And quite often he doesn't tell you why. Abraham didn't know why. Abraham didn't know why. But God says to him, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. Your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. Can I show you something really powerful? No? Okay. All right, watch this. So we, we know that, that in Isaac... You know, two nations, Jacob, Esau, multitudes, millions of, all because of Abraham. Watch this. And he says, your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. Fast forward about a thousand years. A thousand years later, Joshua finally inherits the promise of God where he comes into, into, the, into the promised land. He's crossed the Jordan River. They're now in the promised land. What's the first city they came to in the promised land? Jericho. When he comes to Jericho, Jericho is, is, this, is this fortified compound. Its walls are so high and thick, chariots could race around on top. There are, there's apartment complexes in the walls. It is impregnable and impossible. And God says to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand. Joshua's like, man, do, do we get a wrecking ball? No wrecking ball. Do, do we get cannons and shoot? You don't need a cannon. Do we get ramming rod? You don't need a ramming rod. How do we take down the walls, God? Just march around it for six days. Don't say nothing. Okay, yep. Six days, march around it. Don't say nothing. All right, then what? And on the seventh day, get up real early and march around it seven times. And then on the seventh time, get the priest to go, boo, and throw the ram's horns. And then you guys shout, because I've given you the city. He's got to now present that to his generals. All right, come here. God's going to give us a city. 
And they're like, yeah, how's he going to do? Ramming rods? No, he said, no ramming rods. Uh, cannons? No, 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 no. It's, we, why is it always cannons with you? Stop it. It's not cannons. Yeah. And so, you know, he's trying to so this is what God said. We're going to march around it six times. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. And we're going to chant and work on it. Have you been in the sun too long? Let me check. Is that really water? Do you know why Joshua didn't need a ramming rod or a cannon or a wrecking ball? Because a man on a hill, a thousand years early with nobody watching except the God of heaven, walked with his 12-year-old boy. Isaac also was a, a young man of faith because he allowed, at 12, he could, have, he could have run away from Papa. He could have fought off his 112-year-old father. But he, like Jesus, submitted to his father. And God said to him, because you have done this, your descendants will possess the gates of their enemies. You won't, you won't need any weaponry. All you got to do is shout. Because a thousand, years o, a, a thousand years ago, I made a decree that you'll possess the gates of your enemies. And this first gate, it doesn't matter if it's made of the finest iron or the strongest bronze or the most, most solid concrete. I made a promise to Abram on a hillside that you will possess, that you have no idea what you set in motion when you become obedient. I'm not sure where you're at today, but I know this. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's always speaking. And we hear it in a world of lack. We hear it in a world of instant gratification. And we immediately say, oh, uh, do I have to? Man, what can I get away with? And the Holy Spirit will never take from you. He'll never force from you. But He'll keep visiting. He'll keep asking you, serve on a team. Lay your life down. Begin time. Bless this person. Buy that person. Reach out to your neighbor. Invite your barista to church. He's always asking you. And we're in our head, we're always like, why? Obedience does what God's asking without knowing why. Would you close your eyes? We're out of time. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never surrendered to God. Friend, do that. Maybe you've never received Jesus. Friend, I want you to know that when you receive Jesus, you enter into that exchange. All your sins are forgiven and they're placed upon Christ. And all His righteousness and perfection is transferred and allotted to you. I stand before God perfect. Not, not because I'm perfect, but because Jesus was perfect and gave me His perfection. Jesus was crucified on a cross, judged by God. Not because He did anything wrong, but because of all of my sin was placed upon Him. God did that so that heaven wouldn't be up to you. Because if it was up to you and I, we could never be perfect enough to make it into heaven. So that's why God sent Jesus, His only Son, to do that. If you've never surrendered, surrender. If you once did, but you slipped away, turned away, ran away, fell away, you're away, come back. Or if you're here today and you're just far from God. Friend, life is too short and God is too good to live far from God. Or maybe you're just here today and you're like, hey, pastor, man, I... I needed to hear that, and I need to rededicate my life to God. I want His goodness flowing in my... If you're one of those four categories, while well, every head is bowed, every eye closed, would you, in a minute, raise your hand and let me pray for you. I want to say a prayer for you. If you're away from God, thank you, sweetheart. If you're far from God, thank you, thank you. Thank you, darling. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, young man. I see your hand. Thank you in there. I see that hand. 
Who else is there? Just lift it up high so that I can see it. Thank you through there. Thank you. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you, darling. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. 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 So many hands. Thank you. Thank you. You know, so many hands went up. So let's all keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let's everybody say these words out loud. This is a powerful prayer. Get ready. Everything's about to shift. Say these words. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today that you so love me that you sent Jesus Christ, your only son, on a rescue mission to save my life. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross to make an exchange. You took all my sin, all my shame, everything I've ever done wrong. And in exchange, you've given me your perfection. Today, Lord Jesus, I declare you're my Savior. You are my Lord from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give all of those that raise their hands a great round of applause? Listen to me, straight after this service, there's a young lady called Cynthia. Cynthia, where are you, darling? See this beautiful lady here, Cynthia? I'm going to dismiss the service in just a moment. I want you to see Cynthia because we want to give you a Bible, which is the book I was reading from. When you buy a new car, it comes with a manual. When you get a new life, it comes with a manual. We also want to give you a book called Following Jesus. And Cynthia is one of the best people in our church. She'd love to do that. But church, why do we stand to our feet? I know I'm out of time. But if you know that that was a word for you this morning, I've got to tell you that this, this message has got seven points and I've yet to get past point one. And I honestly, I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, if they get number one, they get the other ones anyway. Come on, how many people God's been speaking to you about doing something? Speaking to you, and, and you know it's an obedience issue. Listen, I've been a Christian for 33 years. And I'd love to tell you, for 33 years, I've been perfect. I've got a blemish-free scorecard. This is what I've discovered in 33 years. Every time I've been obedient, it's cost me something. But the blessing on the other side, mind-blowing. And in 33 years, every time I've been disobedient, disobedience has always cost me more cost me more than I was aware that I was giving up. Obedience may cost you, but it'll never hurt you like disobedience does. If you're here today and you're like, man, I I feel like God's asking me to be obedient in this area, this area, just lift your hands and let me say a prayer for you. Some of the leaders are around these people. Feel free to put your hand on their shoulder. But now, even if you're a leader, put your hand up because we need obedient leaders too. Father, I thank you for all of these beautiful people. Father, I ask that you would speak to them, minister to them. We know the Bible says that Jesus was obedient even to go to the cross. Father, I pray, Lord God, that I know that you're trying to get blessing to them. And the test of blessing is can you be obedient when you don't understand why? Can you do what I'm asking you? Can you do what I'm asking you even when you don't understand why? Father, bless these beautiful people. Draw near to them today. Father, let let the water level of obedience rise in their life so the flow of blessing can just increase and overtake them. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. God bless you. Come on. If you received that this morning, give God a great praise. Come on, Pastor Vince.